Glad you're here today. Good morning, Calvary Chapel brethren. Uh, and good morning to you on Facebook. There's so many going to be watching today because you're not here. I know you're on Facebook. Welcome to you. <laughs> Glad you are joining us. Hey, we're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Salty Christians will light their world. As If you would please stand for the reading of the word of God. We honor God by standing when we read his word. As you know, we've been in the Beatitudes, those attitudes that we have when we draw near to Jesus Christ and how we'll affect the world. Salt and light. We're going to figure out what that's all about today. I think you're going to get a little different perspective than you had in the past. Starting in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, you guys are so good. Please be seated. Yes, you did your part wonderfully. Father, thank you for this time to study the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Thank you for the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you that he's given us this guidebook on how to live life. I pray that you'll speak to us today about things that you want us to learn about salt and light and how we are to be that in this culture. We are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ with an incredible calling and a credible opportunity in this world today. May we light our world up in Jesus name. Amen. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And we, as, we, as I said, we have been talking about the Beatitudes. There are eight Beatitudes. The first four are directed to, to God. The last four are an overflow of our connection with God to the culture around us. The first one was blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, if you remember, those are the ones that are helpless. They realize their need for the Savior. Everyone in this room that is saved born again of the Spirit, has realized their need for a Savior. They were poor in spirit and then entered Jesus Christ to lift you out of the miry clay and set you on the rock, God himself. And then blessed are those who mourn, those who mourn over their, over their sin. Blessed are the meek that was strength under control. And remember, meekness is not something that the world extols, but God values it very highly. It's strong, tender, humble, teachable, and then those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And remember, that is a righteous life. That is a life that is dedicated to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's written in the present tense. And it's a continual pressing on, pressing forward. A continual growth in, 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 the conform, in, in being conforming to the likeness of Christ. And then after that, our connection with God is strong. There's an overflow into the world around us with an attitude that should affect the world. First of all, blessed are the merciful. Remember, mercy is, I'm not getting what I deserve. I'm not getting what I deserve. God has mercied us, and it's incumbent upon us to mercy other people. Blessed are the pure in heart. And we talked about that in, in, in our culture, that no one even blushes anymore uh, because our culture is so tainted. But it's a clean life, and it's, and, it's, and it's modest life, and it's a life that affects the culture around us. And then this one, I think, is most significant not that all of them aren't significant, but this one really impacts me. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, when you were saved, you were taken out of the kingdom of darkness. You were taken out of a situation where you were at, actually at enmity with God, at war with God. 
and brought into a right relationship. That's called reconciliation. So you have made peace with God. And once you have peace with God, then you can live with the peace of God. And the peace of God can extend from you into the culture around you. That's the important thing to remember. Now remember this also, that God's wrath, all of God's wrath, was poured out on his son. We know that. We're Christians. That's what we believe. That all, of our, all the condemnation that we, that we deserve went on the son. For all the sins of the world. Now, the instant that someone believes that there's going to be an overhead here. Now, you've seen something like this many, many times. For the believer, there was a day that God opened your eyes and opened your mind and softened your heart. And Jesus Christ, you received as your Savior. The instant, the instant that transaction occurred, your guilt, your condemnation, your sin was placed upon Jesus Christ on the cross. That is a process that happened instantly and concomitant with that, Christ's righteousness was credited to you, the believer. Now this is huge because now God looks at you the way that he looks at his son. That's right. We said this so many times. You, you have it. Yes. Good job. And then finally, the last, the last of the Beatitudes was blessed are the persecuted and as you know, in our world today, there is more persecution happening to Christians than in all the time leading up to this time, more are dying for their faith now than in the history of the world. That's a massive number of people that are being persecuted. And we made this, this statement that, remember, it's, 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 we are to rejoice in our persecution. And we're wondering, how can I rejoice in my persecution? I don't like this suffering thing. I don't like being persecuted, and I don't think you do either. But it was what is produced. Romans chapter 5, 3 says this. We are to rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And I'll tell you, the God of hope can enter into any situation that you're going through. Any suffering, any persecution. And then we wonder, how am I possibly going to stand up under persecution? Me, how am I going to do that? And we were told by Jesus, don't worry about it. Don't sweat the small stuff. In Matthew 10, 17 through 20, they, he told the disciples specifically, and by extension, I think, to the church, even up to this day, they'll deliver you up to councils. They'll take you before governments and government leaders to governors, and they will scourge you, beat you. And then he says, it's your chance to be a testimony for your God. And then he gives this wonderful promise. Do not worry, church. Do not worry what you will speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak, because it is not you speaking, but it is the Spirit of your Father who is in you. The Spirit of the living God will give you the words to speak at the time. You don't have to worry one iota. A survival tool for the persecuted is this. They know in India... They know in Afghanistan and Iraq and in China, where persecution is overt, Indonesia, that this world is not my home. I'm only passing through. You become a Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 Christian when you live in these countries. You know that you can't have your focus here. You realize that you're strangers and pilgrims on earth. You're passing through. You're looking forward to a heavenly country. 
That's what I'm looking forward to, a heavenly country. God is not ashamed to be called their God. When you have that type of attitude, God is not ashamed to have you as his children. It's an interesting statement. And then God has done this. And I, I was going to do that. I was going to, he has prepared a city for you. Remember the new Jerusalem in our, in our study in Revelation. That, that cube comes down. And how much of the earth that it, that it encompasses 1,500 by 1,500 miles. Each one of us gets about two, two, two square miles of space. That's our little mansion. In our Father's house are many rooms or mansions. Each one of us, if you calculate the, 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 the space in that cube, each one of us will have about two square miles of space. A prepared city. And that God will give you something special at the moment that you need it. He'll give you the rod of iron and steel up your spine that allow you to stand for the truth. And folks, he'll get you home safely and it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. I can tell you that. At our funeral yesterday, I talked about Marvin getting home and getting a great big bear hug from Jesus. I'm picturing this. I'm hoping, it, I'm hoping this has happened. I'm just picturing this. He's oh, giving you a great big love hug. Now this week, we're going to be talking about salty Christians that will light their world. There's many interpretations of salt. I mean, when you go through the commentaries, there's umpteen different interpretations of it. We'll try to get the right one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we are going to be on the right path anyway. So starting in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, again, there's many interpretations. Some people say, well, the salt makes you thirsty, thirsty for the Lord, or it's a preservative, or a flavor enhancer, or it brings purification. The rabbis say that salt is wisdom, but salt can also refer to a, a, an experienced person. Now, if you were in the Navy, it is very common to, to refer to somebody as a salty sailor, somebody who's been out to sea and used to what is it like at sea, or you can be a salty Christian. But salt can also be used to fertilize. So what does Jesus mean by salt? What we know is this. Jesus is saying a disciple must be the salt of the earth. And I believe he's referring to fertilizer. More on that in just a second. This is a metaphor that he's using. We'll have our next picture up here. Thank you. Disciples are being called the salt of the earth. So we want to remember that this is what we are because we're a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to clarify something. Every believer is not a disciple. Every believer is not a disciple. The goal is for you to be a disciple. You are a disciple when you're actively engaged in the growth process. That would be sanctification, but you have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit on that. That's phase two of salvation, okay? So a disciple, that's what Jesus wants you to be. He doesn't want anybody to be a carnal Christian, a cursory Christian, a just hang on Christian, a Christian that's kind of in and kind of, no, he wants you to be all in, all in. So with that stated, what is salt? Well, we know that sea salt contains 90 minerals uh, that plants need to grow. And it is used for fertilizer actually through many parts of the world to help flowers and plants and trees and vegetables to grow. The salt of the earth. That's what is he speaking of. He doesn't say the salt of the world. He says the salt of the earth. And that word earth is capital G, capital E. 
G. <laughs> that's, what it, that's what the word is. And it means land or ground, fit or unfit for producing fruit. That's the definition, okay, of, of earth. So Jesus, I believe, is using fertilizer imagery, which was common in his day. Fertilizer imagery. Now, you don't see the disciples doing what they often do when Jesus is speaking to them about concepts. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus, with the parable of the soils? I mean, you have to explain this to us again. We're not quite getting this. They know exactly what Jesus is talking about. And we're going to know, I think, more as we go on. Fertilizer helps the ground to be productive. Disciples are to be productive in their lives rather than non-productive. Now hear this. To be productive, fertilizer must, must be in contact with the soil. Must be in contact with the soil. Disciples must be in contact with the world around them to be salty. Now hear this. Now remember, God churns soil. There's, there, there's, there's the rocky soil, and there's the thorny soil, and there's the good soil, and there's the, the seed that was thrown by the, by the side was, was, was the first one. But you have to have, for fertilizer, look, think about your grass. You have to have the right amount. Not too much, not too little. The right amount has to be at the right time, and it has to be in the right season. Too early, it's no good. Too late, it's no good. It's all about timing. So you are to be discerning. God is working around you. God is always at work in your world. You are to be discerning enough to see where he is working and join God where he is working. Also, I want to suggest to you that wherever you go, you have a little salt that you're sprinkling. The world might not even see it or know it. But you're sprinkling a little salt all the time, influencing your world. More on that in just a second. So again, in Jesus' days, they collected, they collected manure, they collected the fertilizer, they put it in piles, they would put salt on it to preserve the pile so it wouldn't ferment and, and go bad. Now regarding salt as a fertilizer, hear the words of Jesus in Luke 14.34. This will help give more clarification on fertilizer. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, its contact, how shall it be seasoned? How will it be effective? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, the manure pile. But men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying to us on this subject. Disciples are the salt of the earth, the right amount the right time, at the right, season, at the right season, God prepares the soil for the sprinkling of the salt. Production seems to be the focus, to be productive rather than non-productive. And when you are productive as a Christian, you are fulfilling the purpose for which you were created. You were created for a relationship with the Lord Jesus, and it's not a just-in-case relationship that I'm going to say these words, I'm going to slide into heaven, and then kind of live any way that I want. Oh no, oh no, oh no. You are to be changed by the Lord Jesus and continuing to grow and become more and more like Him. You reach your purpose. You make your purpose known to the world when you are productive and in contact with the world. So how are disciples to be productive? Well, we, I've already said we have to be in contact with the world. What does that look like? Act like the world? No, 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 no. 
take on the world's qualities to be cool and to be accepted by the world? No. To be like the world, to make them more comfortable? The Western church, folks, has done all of these things, all of these methodologies to make sinners comfortable on their way to hell. We do not want to do that. When we confront them with the gospel, there's going to be some tension there. It's not about making them comfortable. It's about telling them the truth. Now, you want to be gentle and respectful and, and not overwhelming and stick them in the heart with a knife, and, but you want to give them the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Now, think about this. Disciples, again, must be in contact with their world. Number two, disciples must impact their world and engage the darkness. And the thirdly, if disciples are not salty... They are useless and thrown out. You aren't good to the master if you're not salty. Now, I want to talk to you about something, just a little side note on this. The church's decline, at least in my lifetime, has been the seeker-friendly movement, the emergent church movement, and now the progressive church movement. Each one of these has been descending in saltiness. Now, the seeker-friendly movement started in in the 60s, 70s, it kind of came popular. It was made popular by uh, Rick Warren and Bill Hybels. And I think that their intention was good, but it just wasn't a biblical way of doing it. It really wasn't. Although they had a lot of production, later in life, Bill Hybels even admitted that many of the people that were saved, that thought were saved, weren't really saved. They were just entertaining the world. But think about this. It was a, with the church's decline and the seeker movement, they become more and more like the world to, to entertain the world. Peter Drucker, I have a picture of him, was a person that was a mentor of Rick Warren and Bill Hybels. And, he, and he's a marketing guru, brilliant man. The aim of, the mar, of marketing is to know and understand the customer so well the product or service fits him and sells itself. Peter Drucker. Now, Peter Drucker was a marketing genius, very influential in the life of particularly Rick Warren. But Peter Drucker denied being born again. He was into Zen Buddhism and Confucianism. Confucius. Whatever Confucius is. Confucianism. Not con he was confused, but anyway. <laughs> now, we know... The purpose of the church is that we see in Scripture is, number one, if you're in our, in our Bible studies, you know, to glorify God, to edify the saints. It's about the, it's about the believers. It's not about the unbelievers. We welcome unbelievers to become believers, but it's to edify or encourage or to build up the saints. And then, thirdly, it's to evangelize the world. That's the purpose of the church, the threefold purpose of the church. Well, what happens is the, 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 the seeker church had some salt, but it was becoming less salty, trying to be like the world. This declined into the emergent church where spirituality became the focus. New age mysticism crept into the church. Feelings became more important than doctrine. A salad bar view of the, of the Bible. I'm going to take this and leave this, and I don't like that part. Let's get away from that. That happened in the emergent church. And then the progressive church is where the, the greatest decline that we see today is where now the focus is not the gospel and evangelizing the world, it's social justice. It's environmentalism. It's social issues, and it's a full-on embrace of homosexuality, homosexual marriage, transgenderism, open borders, and this one, which you're going to 
be very familiar with, climate change. Now, what is going on with climate change is that Mother Earth, remember we've been through this before, Gaia, G-I-A, that is Mother Earth's name, that's the goddess of Mother Earth, is dying. And Mother Earth is now fighting for her life, this is their language, and that's why we have all the hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes, and we must come to the rescue of Mother Earth. Now, we should be environmentalists. We should be good students, uh, good stewards of what we have. I'm not saying anything against that. But this has gone so far that it's become the worship of Mother. It's become almost a religion for people. And then they go on to this, the progressives. They believe that there's other world religions and other ways to God. That the Koran is the same as the Bible, has the truth in it, and the Hindu teachings. And the Bible is just another source of truth. And we realize that all this coming together is under the word of syncretism. Syncretism, where we'll throw the God stuff in, and we'll throw all these other things in, and we'll kind of mix it up, and then we come out with a worldview that just reeks of humanism. Reeks of a human way of looking at their world. This is what we have today, predominantly in, in the churches in our country. Most of them have gone towards pandering to the culture and not sticking with the Word of God. We stick with the Word of God. We are a remnant church. We're not here to be popular. We don't give a wit about the polls and how to build a church. We care about what the Lord Jesus Christ says. That's exactly what we care about. Now, the next picture that you see on bumper stickers all over the place is coexist. Now, this is a lie. This is, you cannot coexist. You go to an Islamic country as a Christian, just take out your Bible. You don't have to say anything and see what happens to you. There is no coexisting here. This concept is an American concept, a Western concept. Same thing with Hinduism. We cannot coexist. The reason is, is that the next slide. Jesus made this very, very clear. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. We see that in Matthew. We'll get that in a few weeks, okay? Now, Jesus claims exclusivity by this verse, which I'll read in just a second. So Jesus' arms are wide open, embracing every human to come to the truth. But he's one way. And so he makes this statement. This is a statement of exclusivity, and this is why the world does not like true Christianity. Because we cannot blend with Islam. We cannot blend with Hinduism. We cannot blend with Buddhism. We must come to those people and give them the truth. So Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one. Now, is there any exclusives, exclusions on this? No. No one comes to the Father except through me, through me. It has to be through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. It's just that simple. No other way. No other way. So Jesus' expectation of his disciples is not to be a double super seeker Christian, but be out giving the gospel. Jesus' call to saltiness is the great commission. And you know what that is in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. You simply go. You go, you go to the nations, you tell them the truth, you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, didasco, teaching them. You ask, yeah, doctrine is important, teaching is important. It's more important than entertainment, it's more important than smoke and mirrors. Teaching is important. 
you didasco, you teach them everything that I have taught you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So that, that baton is passed off to us. Even to the end of the age is a pass off to us and the disciples, from the disciples. So disciples are to be productive, the salt of the earth, and they are when they're carrying out the Great Commission. Now, let me say this. There's many disciples that don't like some of the things that Jesus teaches. Oh, I like this, Jesus. I'm all in for this. Oh, you fed, the, you fed us and, and you had the fish and, and you did all these miracles and yay, Jesus, I'm there with you. And then all of a sudden he gets a little bit demanding and many drop out. It becomes too hard. We call this today, many Christians deconstruct their faith, fall away from the faith, apostatize. They do not like what the Bible teaches it doesn't fit their lifestyle. They do not want to submit to God's teaching. So what do they do? If I pretend really hard, this will all go away. And then you become like these guys. The three monkeys. I, I, I'm not hearing the truth. I'm not seeing the truth. I, I will not speak that truth. These guys don't want a biblical worldview. These guys want a worldview that tickles their fancy. When anytime you see someone deconstruct their faith, usually, I'm not saying 100%, but a high percentage. If Dale DeMero was here, I'd say 99.9%. Yeah. Yeah. A high percentage don't want to do what the Bible says to do. It's conflicting with what they want to do. Paul said this was going to happen. The three monkeys will always search for places to tell them what they want to hear. 2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4. Remember, preach the word, Timothy. Be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful understanding. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say, oh, what their itching ears want to hear. People will go to hear something that will justify their worldview. Even though it's contrary to the word of God. They want to go to have affirmation to what they believe is wrong and allow them to do it. That is not what the church is to do. The church is to confront evil, to confront sin, and to tell people the truth. So the result is there's a willful casting aside of the truth. And when you cast aside the truth, the person's Attitude is this, I want my way. And this is what that looks like. This little spoiled kid with a temper tantrum, I got my way at home, so riots will get my way in the world. And we see that today, and we see this in the church, where I want my way. And if I stop my feet hard enough, they will change to say what I want to hear. No, no, we stick with the truth of the word. Denying the truth does not change the truth. You can't cover your eyes. You can't cover your ears. You can't pretend it's not happening. God is real. His word is true. His ways are best. What did Jesus say? Thy word is truth. In John 17, 17, in a world devoid of truth, we need the truth of this word. Many disciples lose their saltiness, their productivity, and they desert. 
They withdraw to more comfortable surroundings. They lose contact with the soil and they lose their purpose. Watch this. Jesus gave a sermon in John chapter 6. It's the bread of life sermon. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. And then he, the conversation goes on and it's rather lengthy. And the, the conversation ends up, ends up with Jesus saying, you must eat of my body and drink of my blood. That is not talking about cannibalism. That is not talking about communion. That is talking about a full taking in of the Lord Jesus Christ. You make him the Lord of your life. That's what Jesus wanted there. His disciples are distressed now. Because remember, they're in it to see the performance. They're in it to see what Jesus can do. Now he's making them contemplate, you really want me to follow you, Jesus, and deny myself? And, and I have to like, like give something up? Watch what they say in verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, what was said, this is hard. This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And in verse 66, from that time on, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They abandoned ship. Abandoned ship. We're not willing to pay the price. They liked the miracles. They liked the bread and they liked the fish. They liked the excitement of following Jesus and what is he going to do next? But oh, when it came to being a real disciple and giving up to follow him, they were not willing to do it. No salt, no production. If the salt loses its flavor, its contact, how will it be seasoned? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled down by men. Folks, when you've lost your saltiness, it is very difficult to regain your honor and respect before men when that saltiness is lost. When you've lost that, when you've compromised, it's hard to do that. But I want to give you a moment, a second of encouragement. Hear this. Many have lost their saltiness through life. There's been seasons where they have fallen away and became salty again. So the truth is this. God is a God of innumerable second chances. That's, I'm, I'm amen in that too. I mean, like, thank you, God. Start overs are his specialty. Thank you. New beginnings, his specialty. And he can restore what was lost. Trust him. And the point is, is that get back in the fight and be salty again. You can. You can. Don't let the world dissuade you. You can't, God can't restore you. His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Lamentations 3.22. Now, a final point. There is a video on our website about salt. And it's an excellent video. video. The guy does a great job with this. His view is preservation. Preservation. Uh, the presence of salt, he says, affects the whole. So you are the salt of the earth. Your presence in your home, moms and dads, your workplace, your team, any group, your mere presence will have an effect on the whole. You don't even have to say anything. That's his premise. You are a Christian. You are living out your faith in this culture and your mere presence will affect the whole. Okay? Keep that concept. And then he says this, it only takes a small amount of salt to be productive in a culture and he came up somehow with 5%. If 5% of the culture is salty, then the culture has a chance of remaining Christian. If it goes down less than 5%, then you lose the saltiness. You lose the Christianity. Look what happened in Turkey. 
All those churches that Paul started in Turkey were Christian churches. The whole nation is Islamic. Many places where the saltiness has gone below 5%, the country has been given over to other religions, other false ways. In America today, there's saltiness that's probably about 30% because of the old folks. But the new generation, the generation that's coming up, the younger people, there's 5% or less that are salt. And so barring a revival, as we die and pass, this country will lose its Christian moorings. And we see that happening today. The United States of America is decidedly post-Christian. Post-Christian. His point is, is that the, or the, the salt has to be in contact with the soil, like the fertilizer. Be in contact, don't withdraw. Don't accept any salt substitutes. And by the way, if you are really the salt of the earth, this world isn't going to like you. Now, you know that, don't you? <laughs> if, you if you're a real Christian, this world's not going to like you. But listen to this. Do not be intimidated by the majority. There's always been just a few, a remnant. Mark Twain says this. Now, Mark Twain is not a Christian, but Mark Twain had a lot of interesting things to say. Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it is time to pause and reflect. And I'll tell you, that is the truth. I've said this just a few minutes ago, but God does not care a single little ditzel about polls, about what people think in this country. God is God, people are people, and that's it. We submit to him, he does not submit to us. That's how that works. It doesn't matter what the polls say. So the Christians can't affect their world. They have to be in contact with their world. Just a few salty Christians in contact can impact the whole world. Just 5%. And we can maintain this. Or God will maintain it. Change the narrative and change the narrative promoted by the world. There was a man that I've shared with you before. His name is William Borden. He was heir to the Borden fortune. He graduated from high school, was going to go to college. He wanted to be a missionary. His dad says, oh no, don't waste your time with that. I want you to sail the world and see the world and see what you're going to be missing if you do this Christian thing. So William Borden did that. And on his travels, he came in contact with a Muslim group of people in China. And he had a burden for God. God put a burden on his heart. And when he got back from his cruise, he decided that's what he wanted to do with his life, be a missionary to China. He was learning the language and learning the culture. And, as, and everybody thought it was a waste of time. Oh, this poor guy, he's wasting his fortune. He's got, there, there's no hope for him. He's, he's just giving everything up to be this Christian. Well, William Borden died before he got on the mission field. And as they're saying, what a waste of time, they open William Borden's Bible, and the back of the Bible has three words written. Three, three statements. No reserves, hold nothing back. No retreats, no running, no regrets. No regrets. So salty Christian, salty Christian, have no reserves, have no retreats, have no regrets. Be all out for Jesus. Be all out. Be a salty Christian. Now that's the salt. What about the light? Well, that's verse 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is on a, set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And then Jesus says these words to us today. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Remember, Jesus is the light of the world, John 8, 12. We are simply reflecting his light to the world around us. A salty life is a productive life. Those who walk in the light will have a productive life. And the encouragement that we see in this scripture is, do not hide your light. Do not hide your light. We are lights reflecting. We are a city on a hill. So we have this picture of the city on a hill. I mean, just beautiful city, lighting the hill. All the people around see this light. Folks, this is us. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. The world will see your light. Let it shine. Let your light shine. Light your world. Light it up. The darkness hates the presence of the light. Evil wants you out of the way because you are light. And we say, oh no, we're going to be salty and we're going to be light and we're going to light up our world. Do not hide your light under a basket. We have the picture here of, the, of a light under a basket. Don't do this. What, what do you say to the kids? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Yes, let the light shine. And he uses this imagery of, of letting your lampstand light up the house. That's the menorah in the house. That'll be the next picture, the menorah in the house, lighting it up. That's what our house is to be in our neighborhoods. A light, a light. And that light extends from our homes, wherever we go in the culture, lighting up the culture. The world must see your good works to be productive. As salt is related to productivity, so light is related to productivity. Disciples of Christ are to live in this world in such a way that they see the disciple as different, not the same. Not blending in. You're cut out of a different cloth. You are peculiar. You are strange. You are weird to this world. When they look at you as a Bible thumper, when they look at you as being a Jesus freak, don't get freaked out about that. Just say, thank you. Thank you. That is a compliment. Thank you. I, that's the greatest thing. I'm going to journal this. I'm going to write this in my journal. Call the Jesus freak today. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Yes. You know your light is shining. And by the way, there's no such thing, at least in a free country, of a secret service Christian. In Iran there might be, in China there might be, they will shine their light when they can, but we have freedom here that they don't have. And there's no such thing as that here. Time Magazine had a cover story years ago called Missionaries Undercover. And they talked about a missionary named Edward Miller. He was in Iraq, and he was a missionary to the Iraqi psychiatric hospital, and he was, he was giving food to them. Time magazine, almost gleefully, said something like, it said, said this, one thing Miller does not like to do is evangelize. Back in Baghdad, Miller feels no impulse at all to share his faith with clients. He says, quote, this is Miller, you have to realize that Christianity has been part of the Middle East for 2,000 years. People here know all about my religion and don't need to, me to explain it to anybody. I don't feel I have any more to teach a Muslim than they have to teach me. 
Missionary Miller's light has been snuffed out. Missionary Miller is in no, in no danger of being persecuted. Folks, Missionary Miller needs to realize the true light engages the darkness, displaces the darkness, and the true light will speak the truth in the darkness. The true light is productive until the end, and I like this third one. The true light will be a thorn in Satan's side until the end. Every time you say something, just think about this, poking the side. Poking aside. Oh, that ribs hurt. Oh, oh, poking aside. Yeah, you're poking and poking and poking every time you, you do that. Now, think about this. The light goes on. The light goes on. These are cockroaches in the darkness. When you turn the light on, what do the cockroaches do? They flee the light. Okay? Remember how powerful you are and how frightened they are of the light. They don't want you to even speak because your words are frightening to them. So they try to get you out of the culture. This is what happens to the next dude. He's running for his life from the light. Yeah, this is, this, this is the truth, okay? Yes, it's the truth. Run. Run for your life, little cockroach. Run. Run. Evil wants nothing to do with the light. Now, how do we become children of the light? Well, you know I have to get this in here. It's the gospel. You have to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You have to believe that God poured all of the wrath that I deserved onto his son. And that Jesus offers of salvation. He says, receive what I've done for you. Believe and receive the gift. But remember that word believe is commit to, put your trust in, rely on Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you do that personally, you will be saved. Thoughts about light. God is light. 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. But I want you to know, and I think you know this, there are false lights in our world. The world, the flesh, and the devil are false lights. 1 John 5, 19, the entire world is under the sway of the evil one. We were under his authority. We were in his kingdom until God rescued us. There are false lights to galore, false ways to God to galore. 2 Corinthians 11.14 talks about Satan masquerading as an angel of light, a phony, a false light. You must follow the true light. And there is a true light that gives light to every man coming into the world. That's the Lord Jesus. There's light all through Scripture. I put three of them in Psalms. But for time, I'll just say Psalm 119.130. The entrance of your word brings light. Brings light. It gives understanding to the simple. The simple. Even I can understand it. The simple. Jesus is the light of the world. John 1, 4, and 5. To him is life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. But the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness, the scotia, can be physical darkness you can't see. Or can mean the prevailing idea of unhappiness and ruin. That's what I think he's talking about here. And please hear this. John 1, 9. The true light that gives light to every man coming into the world, has come in. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone has access to the light. Now, the question is, I bet you, guess, you can guess what the next question is. Why do people reject the light? They love the darkness. That's right. 
This is the condemnation that light has come in the world. And men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. They love the darkness. They love their sin. What people forget is that sin has a price to pay. You reap later, you reap greater, but you will always reap the consequences of your actions. That's the facts. Closing thoughts. Salt must be, make contact to be effective. Light must make contact. No contact, no production, no fertilizer, no light. The message is loud and clear. We have to move from our area of comfort and be engaged with the world around us to be salty. You realize that. Your mere presence has a positive effect in our world. So be salty, be bright, and by all means, be present. Show up. Let the world see you. If they think you're weird, journal it. Great day today. Great day today. You know, when, when, when Bill and, and, and Al have the, have, have the sign and somebody gives them some problems, you just go, thank you. It's a journaling day. Yes, I'm going to write this down. Yes. Be productive. Your presence is important. You know what they want to do? The world system wants to silence you. They want you off of social media. They want to deplatform you. They want to intimidate you into submission. And we will not be silenced. That's an amen. Let me do this again. We will not be silenced. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you. That was an encouraging one, but I, yeah, that, that still counts. It's an amen. Yes. They want you off. This is not time for us to be shy and withdrawn. And I love it. There is not time for pat on the back Christianity as people are on their way to hell. This is not the time. This is serious, folks. We are living in an epic change in our country where, where Christianity is being pushed aside. Real Christianity is being pushed aside. This is not a time to pat people on the back and say it's okay. It's not okay. You have to believe in Jesus Christ. Everything in our world is directed at snuffing out your light and making you saltless. This is our time. You know, Peter, Andrew, James, they had their time. Polycarp had his time. John Huss, burned at the stake, had his time. Martin Luther had his time. The church has had its time all through the ages. This is our time. This is our hour. God has passed the baton to us. There's only a few. Your job is to keep the light going. To keep salty. Be salty. Be bright. Tell people the truth about Jesus. Engage the darkness and fertilize the field. The right amount, at the right time, in the right season. Do not hold back. I'm pleading. There's too much at stake. Eternity is at stake. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the only hope for mankind. So salty Christians will light their world. Salty Christians, let your light shine. Let it shine. You'll see a little, a little candle here that comes up. Let your light shine. Let it pierce the darkness. It could just be a little light, but any light displaces darkness. Any light displaces darkness. You see, you, you were here, you were saved to be salt and light. When you are 
salt and light, you are fulfilling your purpose. You were created for a purpose to glorify, and you glorify your Father in heaven. And I hope that you have a better idea what salt and light really is. The right amount, the right time, the right season, always sprinkling a little bit wherever you go. The last picture. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And this is the goal. Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Notice he says, Jesus says, your Father. He's Jesus' Father. He's your Father. When you are salt and light, you glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to study the Word of God, the Word of the living God. And Lord, you've given us a commission to be salt and light in this culture, to fertilize the culture. You prepare the soil. You do the work in the hearts of men and women. We are simply their fertilizer that just helps their growth. Help us to carry out our purpose. A little bit of salt, a little bit of light, and the world can be changed. Lord, help us to do our part, the part you've called us to, to be salt and light in the culture. May we not cower from our calling, but may we do this in the strength of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Thank you for this word and thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.